praise you this morning, Lord. We lift up thanks for all the things that you've given us. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can see the fruits of our church, Lord, that justice is being sent out, Lord, to lead worship at a church. Lord, I pray that we could uh, keep him in our prayers, Lord. Father God, I pray that you would anoint him, Lord, as you do, that you would equip him with what he needs, Lord, and guide him through this journey in his life. Help him to always seek you, Lord, and stay close to you. And Father, I pray that he remembers, Lord, that his church loves him and that we are here for him with anything that he needs. I pray that you would be with his family, Lord, that you would continue to do a work in our church, Lord, continue to change our lives, to fill us with your holy presence. Lord, we thank you for the works that you have made, Lord, for this earth, for this building, Lord, for the instruments we get to play, Lord, but most of all, Lord, for the people that you have made. For the ones that you've uh, placed in this place, Lord, that want to serve you, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to them this morning, that you would use Brother Marvin as a vessel, Lord, anoint him with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can be changed, so that we can be new creatures, Lord, so that we can go out and give the gospel. Use us this morning, Lord. Help us to hear your word that you have for us here, Lord. Prepare our hearts. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, good to see you folks here this morning. I want to invite you to open with me in the Word of God to the book of Revelations. We'll also be looking over in the book of Acts. And I'm looking at the churches, the seven churches that Jesus mentioned and gave letters to, messages to in the book of Revelation. As we've been in that for a while, last week we kind of took a break, but we really didn't because we looked on what is the mission of the church, which includes every church that belongs to Jesus. And we've seen that our mission is to go into the world, win people to Christ, make disciples, baptize them, teach all the things that Jesus taught us to observe his commandments. And so we were looking at that. We're back now, and we are made it to the church of Sardis. I want to remind you that these letters came directly from Christ. He said, look, he said, told John, what you see, write in a book. And send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. And he gives you a list of those churches. If you look, they're, they're like, kind of like a wheel, um, a circle. That circle of completeness. And you know, something else I want you to notice about these churches. Jesus specifically chose these seven churches. Now we can say, why did he choose these seven? But I also want to ask you, why did he choose seven? Why didn't he choose six? Why didn't he choose eight? Because seven is the number of completeness in God's word. It was on the seventh day God completed the creation and he rested. Um, he'll say when you read the opening of the letter, he who has the seven spirits of God, he's not saying that God has seven spirits. He's meaning that the fullness, the completeness of the spirit of God. And friends, this group of messages represents the complete church in its entirety from its birth that we'll witness this morning in the birth of when it became a church in the book of Acts at the day of Pentecost till the day Jesus returns. And as we've been looking at, these particular churches illustrate all of the possible spiritual conditions for the future churches until Christ returns. And they all come together to give us an overall picture, a vision of the church until the day Jesus comes back to call us home and receive his bride, which is the church, the body of Christ. And so as we've been studying, we looked at the church of Ephesus, which was the church who lost its first love. You know, when you first get saved, it's like when you first get married, but they kind of let that love die. And Jesus was telling them, love me like you used to. Um, 
They had lost. Jesus was no longer their first love. They were the loveless church, you could say. And then we've seen the next church, the church of Smyrna, which was that church that was getting persecuted. They were suffering for their faith in Jesus and for the word of God, but they were standing on it. And we see the next church, the church of Pergamos, which was the compromised church. We've seen where their pastor, Antipas, had been martyred for Christ, and they began to do what we do. When we are being persecuted, when we receive suffering for our relationship with Christ and the word of God, the first temptation is for us to compromise. <laughs> to, 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 to whatever their is causing us to suffer because of Jesus, let's compromise. And that's what that church began to do. They compromised their doctrine, their scripture, which always leads to corruption. And then you've seen the church of Thyatira, which was the corrupt church. Any commentaries you read pretty much calls on these things, and it's self-evident that as we studied, the church of Thyatira had compromised to the point they were, had been corrupted, and they had things going on that was wrong. They were allowing people to not only teach false doctrine, but to live false doctrine, and no one was doing anything. They were treating it as okay, and we see that in America today in many places that should be standing up for Christ. We're bowing to the culture. We're giving in to society. Instead of being an influence, we're letting them influence us, and that's what was happening. And then finally, it leads to the church of Sardis, where we are today, the dead church. And I've seen this in my life. There's seasons when my love for Jesus ain't like it should be, I may not be doing what I used to do. I'm not denying myself like I should, taking up my cross, and I'm not really following Jesus. I'm taking the easy route. And before long, you're compromised somewhere, and then you find yourself corrupted. And friends, listen, if you're not careful, you'll find yourself that the Holy Spirit is not working in you like it used to. Because listen, God saved us. He birthed us, and we became his child, and he put his life, the Spirit of God, in us. But how we live our life determines what that spirit is able to do in and through us. Can I get an amen? And we can do things we're going to see today that can grieve him and quench him. And that's what I think was happening in the church of Sardis. And you're going to see that. But as we read it this morning, the church of Sardis, the dead church, it's a short letter. Jesus didn't have a whole lot to say except that you have a name, you're alive. Everybody thinks you're alive. You think you're alive, but I say you're dead. That's a pretty incriminating message. Amen. And look at what he says right there in verse 1 of chapter 3. And to the angel of the church of Sardis write, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God. That's the fullness of the spirit of God. And I want to tell you something. You never escape the all-seeing spirit of God. Amen. He's everywhere. He knows everything. And there's nothing that escapes the knowledge and understanding and the presence of the spirit of God. And he says, I know your works, that you have a name that you are alive but you're dead. Be watchful and strengthen those things that remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. That word can also mean complete. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments. Now, he's not talking about the clothes you got on, but he's talking about the garments that the righteousness of, that clothes us in Christ. And he's saying that you've defiled your garments. And I will, he says, let me start that over. I should have never stopped. <laughs> you have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments. 
and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I shall not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, today I pray that you give me a voice to utter the truth with power that people would have ears to hear and you'd open our ears and our hearts to receive what the message has to say to us today from the church of Sardis. In Jesus' name, amen. We look right here and what a seriously sad situation. This church had a name, a reputation. Everyone in the community, there were seven churches in these bunch of letters. And this letter, when John wrote it, went to all these churches. And each church got that letter. And as they began to read Jesus' evaluation of each one, they seen the evaluation of their neighbor. And I'm sure they began to look at Ephesus. Ooh, they lost their first love. Oh, Thyatira, they're corrupted. And, and you know, this and that. But when they read theirs, <laughs> yeah, everyone says you're alive. You have a name, a reputation. But when I look at you, I say you're dead. Your works are not complete. They're not perfect. And friends, I, I would think that they was a church that had a crowd. They were doing good stuff. They had ministry going on. They were, had a preacher that was preaching the word. People was coming to hear it. They, in our day and time, they would have been a church that had the good music. People would come to hear. They would have had all the stuff that we think is necessary to have good church. They would have had a nice building. They would have had money. They would have been doing programs and accomplishing things in the name of Jesus. But Jesus said, even with all those things, apparently you can be dead and not be alive. I want you to see something, an important truth. For the church to spiritually bless people, it must be spiritually alive. You can't bless people with a bunch of money in Jesus' name. You can't bless people with programs in Jesus' name. Those are good things. You can use them for things of God. But those apart from God's presence and his spiritual life in a congregation will not change a community, a city, or a country. We look at the church in America. There's more churches in America probably than any other place in the world. But we're not changing America. America has changed the church. We're not influencing culture. Culture is influencing us. And friends, I ask us why and how could that happen? Because somewhere along the line, I'm not saying every church, but as a whole, many churches, my friend, lost their first love. They don't want to suffer for Jesus anymore. They don't want anything to come against them that hurts their little Christian feelings in Jesus' name. So they compromise. And once we compromise, we became corrupted. And if you come corrupted to a point that there's sin in the house, to the point that Jesus will not work in that presence. And friends, that's what was happening here. I want you to remember, last week we looked at our mission. Our mission is this. Our mission is to be a witness. The witness of the church, though, must have the power of the Holy Spirit. In, in Mark's gospel, the last thing Jesus said, the last thing's written in red before the end of that gospel in chapter 16 is this. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them. Those who believe and are baptized will be saved. Those who do not will be condemned. That's how important it is that the church do what he told us to do. He told us once we win them, once we preach the gospel, then he told us the last thing he said in the gospel of Matthew. We looked at it last week. He said, all authority and power, all power or authority has been given to me. 
Therefore, go into all the nations and make disciples. How do you make disciples? Will you baptize them? That's the first step of obedience. We've seen that last week. We baptized people here. And then teach them to observe my commandments that I taught you. And then what did he say? He said, lo, I will be with you always, even until the end. Well, I look around today, I don't see Jesus sitting in a pew. But Jesus is here. How is Jesus in his church? Through the presence of his Holy Spirit. Jesus told the church, it is to your advantage that I go away. That's what he told his disciples. They were distraught. He said, I'm leaving. I'm I'm going back to the Father. He was telling them, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be buried on the third day. They were distraught. He said, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I go away, I will send him back. I will send the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. I'll not leave you as an orphan. And friends, we're not here alone in this fight against what we look around us as an overwhelming condition of spiritual darkness. We are here with Jesus in our hearts. He is the strength. He is the greatest asset of the church. It don't matter how much money we got. It don't matter how much people we may get to come. It don't matter how big of a facility we can build. If we don't have his presence in us and with us, it's all in vain. We may have an appearance, a name that we're alive, but if we're dead, we are in pitiful shape. Can I get an amen? We need God's spirit to breathe on the church so that the church can be a catalyst to bring spiritual awakening into America. America's spiritual future is dependent upon the church, guys. America's not a covenant nation. America's not like Israel. America's only covenant with God comes through the covenant we have through Christ in the New Testament. And the more the church is alive in America, the more we can see America made great again. And friends, listen. He said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and he didn't say you might or you ought to, he said, you shall be my witness. You'll start in your Jerusalem, you'll go out into your Judea, you'll go out into Samaria, and as far as to the end of the earth, when the power of the Holy Spirit comes into you, then you will be my witness. If you're not a witness for Christ today, There's strong evidence the Holy Spirit ain't got power in you. Because when you get the Spirit in you, you can't help for Him to come out. Can I get an amen? It's going to be evident. You're going to be speaking out the things of God. It was so important. I want you to hold your place here because we're going to come back. But I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 1. And Acts chapter 1 is the the evidence. It's where the church started. It shows you the the birth of the church it shows you how the church was brought to be through the missionary journeys of Paul planting churches and it's the best place to go and see about the foundation of the church and how the church should be built friends listen in the book of Acts I mean in in, in the book of Luke Luke's gospel this is what he says the last things written in red before Jesus went to be with the father and ascended it says, and Jesus opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And he said, thus it was written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in this name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. 
And you are my witnesses of these things. But he said, don't go start doing it yet. The last chapter, the last, third to last verse, and the last thing Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke is this. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. Jesus said, I gave you the mission. I've trained you and equipped you to do it. But you can't go do it until you're endued with the power on high that comes from the promise of my Father, the Holy Spirit. Here he says, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses. Friends, right above that, look at what he says in verse 4 of chapter 1 in the book of Acts. And being assembled together with them, this is the last time Christ would be with them. He's fixing to physically go up into the clouds to return to the Father. Look at what he says. The last thing, it's so important that you catch this. Because if we don't have the Holy Spirit, our work is in vain. It has no power to change people's lives spiritually. I want you to look at what he says. And being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You read over in chapter 2, that day is the day of Pentecost, the day the church became a living, breathing entity upon this earth the church is not an organization the church is an organism of the living body of christ and what makes it live and live is the spirit of christ in us paul called it christ the hope of glory in us and friends listen they went and did exactly what he said to do 120 of them that's all there was They went in the upper room and they stayed there and they prayed and they fasted and they prayed and they fasted and they tarried and they waited because Jesus told them, I got a promise coming for you. And on the day of Pentecost, my friend, it began to happen. God didn't accidentally pick the day of Pentecost. He picked it on purpose because it was the high holiday. It was one of the days that the most people in all of the year would be in Jerusalem. People came from everywhere, of every nation, of every tongue coming to celebrate. It was kind of like Christmas, amen? It was this big, holy holiday. And so listen what happens here. They are all praying, and when you look with me in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came into this group of people who were his disciples, they began to minister and speak. I want you to see, the Spirit gave them utterance to speak the wonderful works of God. Unless the Spirit is given the church utterance, that's The old preachers called it unction, anointing. To preach our truth has no power just in pages. It has to be coming through vessels that are filled with the Holy Spirit. The church has to be spirit-filled. Look at what it says. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues. And we get, as Baptists especially, tongues just puts it into seeing what's there. But listen. He said, as they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues 
as the Spirit gave them utterance. I want you to understand something. They all were filled with the Holy Spirit and then the Spirit gave them utterance to speak the wonderful works of God. If you look with me there and you look at it, you begin to see that this was not an unknown prayer language. Although tongues, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, in the Bible, especially in Corinthians, there is places where it is an unknown language. Some people call it a prayer language. Some people call it a heavenly language that even needed another person in the body, the church, to have the gift of interpretation to tell you what God is saying. Tongues is not a dead gift. There's nowhere in the Bible says tongues is ceased, but we got to focus on tongues this morning because the tongues here is not that type of tongues. This is a known language. I'm going to show you what he says. If you look with me right here, he says in verse 5, as the Spirit gave them utterance, verse 5, and they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And it gives you a list of all these different types of people that were there. And look at what it says in verse um, 6. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together, and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. It was like if we would have Chinese, Russians, every other thing you could think of today, and God gave us all the gift to speak. We'd still sound like southern rednecks because they still had their Galilean dialect. They said they still sound like they're from Galilee, but they're speaking in our language. Look what they say at the end. The Cretans and the Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Friends, listen, it's the Holy Spirit that gives us utterance to speak with power the word of God to the point we become God's witness and he gives us the power to speak the wonderful works of God. And friends, the Holy Spirit isn't just for the apostles. It's not just for the pastors. The Holy Spirit is for every single person in the church. There's nobody in here that's not expected to be a witness, amen? When you get saved and Jesus comes into your life, and he takes you from darkness to light, from death to life, from living a lie to now knowing the truth, and God moves into you and fills you with the Holy Ghost, and you get born again, friends, you ain't got to go to Brother Marvin's soul-winning class to tell somebody about what Jesus done, amen? When you get filled with God's love, and he blesses you and saves you, and he washes you, and he takes away your sins. I don't know about you, but when I got born again, I got different. How about you, amen? One day I was dead in sin, dead without Christ. One day I understood by the grace of God, and I said, I'm a sinner, and I confessed it. And I said, Lord, I believe the gospel that Jesus died for me, and that he rose again, and he lives to help me. And Lord, I'll follow you if you'll help me. And I don't know about you, my life's not the same. That's what he does, and that's what we are Understand, there's no way you can be dead in sin one day without the Holy Spirit, get born again, and be filled with the Holy Spirit and be the same. (laughs) Now, I want you to think about this. The Spirit was given as a promise by the Father. It wasn't something that wasn't expected. He had already told them. And look at what he says. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. That's what Peter's saying. Right here, he's preaching the first gospel message. At Pentecost, Peter stands up and he's preaching the word of God. And he says, therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, that's Jesus, he's ascended, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he, Jesus, has poured this out 
which you see and hear. He said, we're not drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. It's too early for a man to be drunk. This is a work of God. It's the promise of the Father. So he begins to preach a little more if you look at it later. And as he's preaching the gospel, he's revealing to them that this Jesus whom you crucified, he's both Lord and Christ, which he's both God, he's Jehovah, and he's Messiah. He's the Christ. And it says they were cut to the heart. And they said, oh God, what must we do? And this is what Peter said. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is to all who God saves. It ain't just for some. If you got saved, you got born again. You got baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to look at this. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. I don't know about y'all, but have you heard the gospel call? Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Man, I don't know about you, but when you hear that call and you come to it in faith and God comes into your life, you get that gift. Now, friends, listen. The Bible is clear that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. God's salvation has given us spiritual life. A religious man is still dead. Do y'all remember Nicodemus? Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a good man, a religious man. He was a true seeker of God. He went to Jesus by night saying, there, you have to be God, sent from God. There's no one could do what you do. And Jesus looked at him and said, Nicodemus, unless a man be born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, how can a man be born again? And Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say you must be born again. For that which is of the flesh is the flesh, and that which is of the Spirit is of the Spirit. Friends, you had a natural birth, and if you plan on going to heaven, you better be about having a spiritual birth. Was when God saves you, he makes you alive. If you look at that bottom verse up there, that's in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Paul, speaking to the Ephesian church, said, In him, Jesus, you also trusted. When you got saved, that's what you trusted in. If you trusted in the church, if you trusted in a religious organization, if you trusted in getting your name on a roll book, you you still undone. It's only Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one cometh to the Father except through me. Not me and the church, me. He said, there's no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved except the name of Jesus. And friends, listen, in him you trusted. When did you trust? After you heard the word of truth. That's why we preach. The gospel of your salvation. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for everyone who believes it. What is the gospel? Jesus died for the sins. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. And now he lives and he has ascended at the right hand of the Father. And he will save you through his sacrificial death on the cross his blood is sufficient to wash you and cleanse you nothing else and he says at that moment when you trusted him after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation having also believed past tense you've believed you were sealed with the holy spirit of promise the next verse says which is the guarantee of your inheritance friends i don't know about you but when you get sealed you sealed amen you're born again and jesus spirit is in you so why is so many of us not exemplifying the spirit-filled life 
Because listen what he says in that verse in chapter 2. That's just a couple verses difference when you take away chapter 2 and chapter 1. We put the chapters and verses in there, remember? He says, you he made alive who were dead and you trespassed in sins. You were saved by grace, he says. We were dead in our sin spiritually, but he made you alive in Christ. That's the life that he's talking about that the church needs to have to be the do the mission, the, the work of ministry that he's called us to do. Now, I want you to look at this with me. The defilement of sin, though, grieves and can quench the Holy Spirit. And that's why the church can be the church, but if the church loses its first love, it quits following Jesus, it, it, it starts to compromise to the point it gets corrupted with sin, it will become a dead church. And there's dead churches in our land but we don't need to get tore off about that. We need to thank God because there's live churches, amen? Jesus is still here. He's still blessing the churches that will follow him and trust him and live for him. Now, I want you to think about this. Paul told a church, a real church in Ephesus, just like us, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. If you choose to live carnally, that's fleshly, naturally, and you live for the world, you're going to grieve the Spirit, my friend. If you're more focused on here than there in the kingdom, you're grieving. He's in you. And you can live so far from God and not walk in the spirit enough to where you walk in the flesh to where you can even quench him because he told a Thessalonian church, do not quench the spirit. And guys, this church apparently had lived to the point that they were defiled to the point that they were grieving the Holy Spirit And friends, when you grieve the Holy Spirit, he's still working. Thank God. You ever felt it? Man, I shouldn't be doing this. I'm miserable. But why why don't I quit? You grieve. Friends, listen. Your conscience that God's working with. The Bible says that your conscience can become seared. And then you can quench the Spirit. Thank God today that the Spirit of God convicts us. Thank God for conviction of the Holy Spirit by the truth of the Word of God. We don't like it, but it's necessary. But guys, I want you to think about this. As you flip back with me, this church, it's evident in the letter that most of them were defiled because there was only a few who wasn't defiled. And guys, I want you to pay close attention with me. Look at what Jesus says to them. He says in verse 3, Remember therefore how you have received and heard. Hold fast. They had received because they had heard. He said, remember what it was like when you received what you heard about. What? The gospel message. The love of God that saved you and how you received that. Hold fast and repent. How do you hang on to that salvation? You repent. You turn to God when you fall from God. And there's nobody here that doesn't sometimes need to repent. But if you live a life opposed to God, completely carnal, completely living in the world, friends, you will quench the spirit. You will actually grieve him if less. Now, friends, listen what? Done it here. Jesus says, repent. Now look at what he says in verse 4. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. Jesus said, you only got a few people in your church that aren't defiled. Which meant most everybody else was. Now he ain't talking about, did you have on a clean suit? Was your blue jeans pressed or was your dress clean? He's talking about, the righteousness that clothes us in Christ. Yes, Jesus has clothed us in his righteousness, 
But you can't just go live in sin and experience the filling of the Holy Spirit and the anointing of God. God's gifts are irrevocable. They're none repentant. He will never take them, but he'll stop anointing them. He'll stop empowering them. And friends, listen, that's what's happening in this church. Look at what he says. He says, and you have a few names, even in SARS, who have not defiled their garments, and they still walk with me. You know how you stay undefiled? You walk with Jesus. You follow his truth and his teachings. Look at what he says. In white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And I will not block out his, blot out his name from the book of life. And I know everybody's going to say, does that mean we can lose our salvation? I do not have time it would take to deal with that verse, but I'm going to deal with it on Wednesday night. And I'll let you know what Wednesday night. But I don't personally believe one verse overrules tons of other teachings. And I don't believe Jesus contradicted himself. And there's tons of different views I'm going to give you on what that actually means, but I can tell you what I think it means. It means you better take it pretty serious if you're so far from God that you don't feel his presence of his Holy Spirit in your life. If you are living a carnal, worldly, seeking the temporal life to the point you don't seek Jesus, you're not after righteousness anymore, you're defiled to the point God's not even using you, you don't even have a witness Maybe you need to check this verse out because Jesus told them this, not me. But he said, he who overcomes will again walk in white garments. Friends, the greatest picture I can find of repentance in the whole Bible is David. David, what a beautiful picture of how God's mercy is long and he is patient and kind and long-suffering. Friends, David committed sin. He was anointed. The Bible describes David as the anointed psalmist of Israel in the book of Chronicles. The anointed sweet psalmist of Israel. He wrote the majority of the praise hymns in the book of Psalms. David was the greatest king in the history of the churches. I mean the kings in the book, the times of Israel's kingships. But listen, David sinned. And the first thing David realized when a prophet, a preacher named Nathan came and committed, con- convicted him and said, you the man, David. You're in guilt of sin. He said, oh, Lord, have mercy upon me. This is in Psalm 51. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. And listen to what he said. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. David was a man overwhelmed with the uncleanliness of his spiritual life. In fact, he knew that's what was wrong with his heart. And he cries out in verse 10, creating me a clean heart, O God. If you get a heart unclean that's filled with sinful practices and you're compromised to the point you're corrupted and Jesus isn't first, and you, friends, that's what's happening in these churches. He he understood David's unclean heart led to an unright spirit. And look at what he says. Creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew. That means he had a right spirit at one time, but not anymore. Why? Because he committed adultery with Bathsheba. Instead of confessing it and repenting it, he tried to fix it himself by manipulating and using his position to try to rig things to cover for it. 
But the more he tried to hide what he did with Uriah's, Uriah's wife, Uriah ended up showing that he was a more righteous man than the King David. And Uriah wouldn't do and fall to his evil trap. So David, he got so far in sin that he was willing to even have Uriah murdered in his attempt to cover up his sin. But it didn't work. God sent a preacher named Nathan and said, you are the man, David. And David came clean. And the first thing he realized was, Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Lord, I used to have a right spirit, but now I don't. Guys, it's impossible to live in sin and have a right spirit with God. And when you're saved and his spirit is in you, you're not going to be happy when you're not living with God's blessings over you. Listen to what he said. Cast me not from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. That's what David realized could happen. But it hadn't yet. And so what did David say? David's unclean heart and unright spirit were in need of renewal and restoration. And that's where a lot of people are in the church today. That's where a lot of churches are. That's where David was. Listen to what David said. He said, renewing me in that other verse, renewing me a right spirit or a steadfast spirit. Here he says, re re restore to me the joy of your salvation. How do you do that? By upholding me with thy free spirit. Friend, it's the Spirit of God, capital S, that upholds us, that makes us experience the joy of His salvation. Friends, when we are not living by the Spirit and we're not allowing the Spirit to live in through us, we're not going to be experiencing the joy of God's salvation like you do when you follow Jesus. And friends, that church, it's obvious, had wandered to the point Jesus said they are defiled. There's only a few of you who are still walking with me and are worthy and are living for me. He says, but... The good news is, guys, listen, the dead church can be revived through repentance, turning back to Jesus. Would you agree with me that America as a nation has a great need of repentance to turn back to God? But may I tell you, before America got to where it is as a nation, somewhere the church got away from God too. Because the church is the one who is put on the wall to be the watchtower, to watch, to stand, to be the witness, to preach. We are not here for the culture of America to influence us. We've been placed here to influence the culture of America by standing with Christ. You know what? You can't change the American culture and the things that they believe that are a lie in our own strength, with our own riches and our own money in our own buildings. Our assets are not enough. You must have the Spirit of God. When Zerubbabel got ready to build the, wall, the, 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 the temple, he was struggling, he was failing, and God sent a messenger to him, and he said, Zerubbabel, he says, not by thy strength, but by my Spirit will you build what I told you to build. Friends, it's by the Spirit of God and his strength. I want you to see this. How many churches do you think they got in Caddo Parish? We are in the Bible Belt. There's more churches per mileage where we live than anywhere else in America. And guys, I didn't make this up. I heard this. I like it, though. It's real cool. The church that's alive is worth the drive. Would you agree with that? 
People, how many of you drove 10 miles to get here? Did you pass any churches on the way? And I'm not saying those churches are dead. <laughs> how many of you drove 15 miles? Today, we don't think nothing of driving 15 miles. I'm here to tell you, people will drive past dozens of churches to get to one where they think God's at. And around here, all our churches are blessed. We got nice buildings. They, none of us, we got money. We got a people. But that ain't what makes people come. <laughs> you know what makes people come? When they leave, they don't talk about us. They don't talk about what we build, and they don't talk about what we doing. They talk about, man, I met with Jesus. I was in the presence of the living God. The Spirit of the Lord was in that place, and I can't get it out of my head. I can't get it off my mind. He's after my heart. And because the Lord convicted me, the Lord enlightened me, the Lord's words, it wasn't the preacher's words, it wasn't the Baptist's words, it was thus saith the Lord and his presence touched me. I got to get saved. I'll never, if I manipulate you to come up here and get saved, you'll stay lost. But if Jesus is telling you this morning, I've opened your heart by the power of my spirit so that I can come in Jesus is going to tell a church in two weeks from now, the church of ladies, and see, I stand at the door and knock. And if you'll open the door, I'll come in. Jesus wants to be in his church. Jesus died to be in his church. And the church is dying need of Jesus today. Because without Christ, we are dead. Just playing religious games. I know this ain't the most enlightening I can't wait now to go to the buffet message but would you agree it rings very relevant to the days in which we live many churches are not accomplishing what we think we should today I would rather be what Jesus says we should be and I would worry more about what he thinks than what men think it's easy today to look like a church that's alive in America I heard a story that they had this missionary from China that while they were there, they were after him in an underground church and the the Soviet China was trying to catch him to kill him. So they took him back with him, these American missionaries. And they said, we'll keep you in America for a while and then bring you back. So when they brought him to America, they said, well, while you're here, you need to go around to America and share everybody what God's doing in the Chinese underground church. So he went around and he was telling everybody. It's a true story. I read it in a, in a book. And, and this Chinese missionary, after he went all over America, they thought one day and asked him, well, what do you think about the church in America? He said, it's amazing what men can do without God. <laughs> See, they don't have buildings. They don't have programs. They don't even have permission. Yet there's millions of Chinese committing to Christ in their underground church. Friends, we think we need all these advantages and opportunities. If we got the Holy Spirit, we will witness. When we got the Holy Spirit, we will stand and tell others about Jesus. That's my message. I don't know what you would need to do. I believe with this many here, there's somebody who's not saved. You're not born again. You're a good person. You're a religious believer, but so was Nicodemus. But you're not born again. The Spirit of God doesn't live in you. And deep down, you don't have assurance that if you died tonight, you would be okay for eternity.
Friends, I don't know about you, but Jesus died so that we can know that we are saved. Not hope we are saved, but know. How do you know? You take a day where you wholeheartedly trust in Jesus, and you say, Lord, I'm not trusting anything, not religion, not a Baptist doctrine, not another church doctrine, but I'm trusting the fact that I know the most simplest teaching about salvation is that Jesus died for me on the cross. They buried him, and because he was sinless, because death had no power over him, on the third day he rose again. And he's promised now that he will not only did he die for me, but he lives for me, and he will help me. This is what Jesus said for those of you who aren't saved yet. He said for those of us who are saved, who are in sin, if you will confess your sins, I am faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. First John chapter 1, verse 9. But friends, listen, Jesus died for our sins, and now he lives even now to help us with our sin. How do you do that? You confess, you repent. You know, at the moment you say, Lord, what I'm doing is wrong, and I'm turning back to you, he washes you as white as snow. Your sins, he removes them as far as the east to the west. I'm not talking about you lose your salvation, but you lose your relationship, you lose the anointing, God wants you anointed today. Justice out of the greatest thing you have going to where you're going is that your integrity and your character with God will determine your anointing with God. And that's the greatest thing that we have to offer God. We're going to stand. We're going to have a hymn of invitation. I know some of us are right now saying, I just don't know about all this spirit stuff. It don't all make sense. You know what Jesus said about